In this episode, we sit down with Jason Pulaski to talk about how inflammation might actually be affecting your mood. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps. Big Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and inflammation is one of those things that I think we all sort of struggle with. It, it's something that um, uh, shows up in many different forms, shows up in, in our lives in many different ways, um, but we don't typically think that hard about it, right? It's normal. It's, it's common. Uh, why, why would we sit and really question it? But some recent research uh, has actually started to raise this question of whether or not inflammation, uh, specifically in the gut and in the body, whether or not it actually might have a link to things like depression. Now, I know this is kind of a crazy question to ask, right? This is kind of a, a, a strange link to make, but they've actually seen some promising results in this area. And while it, of course, cannot be stated as the only reason for depression or anxiety or any of these other factors, while while the, the connection to food and inflammation can't be given full credit for issues that we might be dealing with with our mental health, it does potentially open up a new window into a world that we up to this point have not been able to fully figure out. And the guest for today's paid episode of the podcast uh, that is going out to all members of TLBC Plus, of course, if you want to join, you can click the link in the description of the episode. Uh, the paid episode today is featuring Jason Pulaski. Jason is a clinical dietitian as well as the author of the book Foods for Thought. And his argument is that the food we eat has a much more direct connection to our mental state than many of us realize. And in the conversation, it's a full 50-minute long interview. We cover a number of factors, things like the microbiome and the gut-brain connection, things like the role inflammation might be playing in our day-to-day -day moods. We look into the link between mental well-being and food. We talk, of course, about Jason's background and how he put himself in this unique position to talk about these topics. And of course, finally, we look at how to build your own plan and the three principles that he thinks are important when trying to improve your eating. Now, as you know, I'm not going to play the full interview here, but I did want to bring in a clip from the conversation that's all about the link between inflammation and depression. And this is such an interesting topic to me, one that I think you're going to walk away having learned something, but also maybe starting to reconsider some of the foods that you are eating on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you love the conversation, this clip here, I encourage you to become a member of TLBC Plus. Just click the link in the description of this episode or head over to tlbc.co slash join 
Sign up now to hear the full conversation with Jason Pulaski. But here is the clip all about how inflammation might be playing a role in your depression. So I want to, uh, before we move on to sort of the, the next section of the book that, that talks a lot about that gut-brain connection, and I know that's something that uh, my listeners are super interested in, I'm super interested in. It's something that I, I think a lot of people have a hard time fully understanding. Uh, but before that, you talk a lot about inflammation and the role that it plays in uh, things like depression or the role that it could play. In, in things like depression. And uh, I want to remind the listener that uh, there is a, a lot of early research on some of these things, but to say that any of this is conclusive, it would, would be uh, inappropriate. Uh, but I do want to talk about how you sort of lay it out. Uh, so, so tell us your thoughts on uh, the role that inflammation could play on, on our mental health and, and specifically in, in potentially leading to, to depression. Yeah. And thank you for that caveat first, you know, cause I think, um, you know, again, you know, none of this is fully conclusive here, but, and I think that, that brings me back to the question that maybe I gave you a convoluted answer to about the food mood link, you know? So let me try yeah. to, I guess, kind of unpack that here because I think a lot of that food mood link is largely explained through, that's one uh, mediating factor would be chronic inflammation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so for example, there's some researchers that are now labeling it the inflammatory theory of depression. So the, we're starting to look at that. It's kind of like the chicken or the egg, you know, is that underlying sense of, of chronic inflammation that people might be dealing with, is that affecting the the way that our body metabolizes neurotransmitters and hormones and in turn, is that disturbing our mood, our ability to relax, our, our sense of anxiety? You know, so there is that strong connection between when our body's at a state of unease and chronic inflammation could be one example. And, and let me unpack that a little bit because I think that might be unclear as to what we're talking about to some listeners, perhaps. You know, so, so we have, for example, if we cut our finger, we're going to get acutely inflammation. And uh, so that's basically our immune system's reacting, and it's going to send a bunch of immune cells to help protect that cut and try to prevent those germs from in, entering our bloodstream. So that's one example of how our, our, our body might get acutely inflamed from an injury. However, chronic inflammation is something a little bit different Whereas, you know, we have this, you know, different chemical messengers that are a lot of them are produced within our intestinal tract. So they send signals. It's almost like a, a, a means of communication between our digestive tract and our brain. You know, so that when we have, for example, a poor diet, we don't eat enough fibers, we eat too much fried foods, maybe we're highly stressed and we're not managing it. We're not sleeping well at all. All those can contribute to that chronic sense of inflammation. So when, when you got those all together, it's kind of the perfect storm for chronic inflammation. And sadly, that's too common for too many of us in the United States or all around the world, perhaps. Um, so, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, helps us begin to appreciate the, the significance of that link of inflammation as to how over time left unchecked, how that could be disturbing that normal metabolism and regulation of those hormones and those neurotransmitters that are 
the absolute keys to regulating our sleep, our stress, our appetite, our um, our sexual function, our mood, you know, so much of our daily life is, is regulated by these chemical messengers. And, and chronic inflammation is just stands to perturb a lot of that normal regulation when it's left unchecked. Yeah. And you, uh, when, when looking into this, you go into the idea, which I, I completely agree with that, uh, if this turns out to be the case that that inflammation is is sort of having this direct link, um, the standard American diet is full of inflammatory foods. Uh, could you go a little bit into what some of the those more more common inflammatory foods are that we all sort of eat without really thinking about it, and um, how that might be something that that we could look at to change? Yeah, so um, one of them is uh, the types of fats that we eat. So for example, uh, you know, so there's two types of fats that are essential we need for good health. And those are the unsaturated fats that we find predominantly in different fish, nuts and seeds, and some of the plant-based oils like olive oil, um, avocado oil, avocados, you know, so there's a lot of foods that have those natural unsaturated fats. And those are key to help fight inflammation. But to answer your question, the pro-inflammatory foods, uh, more of like the, the highly processed, the refined oils, such as like what they use in like the, the deep frying foods, um, a lot of the cheaper processed oils that are used in the baked goods, like donuts, pastries, cupcakes, crack, um, a lot of those baked foods that we go and we see loaded up on the bakery when you go into the grocery store. Um, so it's really that's one piece of the inflammation in our diet is that off balance of those essential versus uh, the more refined oils. That's a big piece of it. Um, so just getting more of that omega-3, for example, helps to uh, or it has anti-inflammatory compounds. So we really need more of those unsaturated fats in our diet on a regular daily basis to help combat some of the potentially detrimental effects of those processed oils that is so common, like you said, in the standard American diet. Yeah. Uh, and, and I imagine that that's a, and I, it's not really so much imagine I, I, I go through it as well. Like that is a very difficult thing sometimes to, to do, to, to accomplish, to avoid those, those oils because they are in so much. Uh, especially here in the U.S., um, without going too much into remaking somebody's diet, like what what can we do to start to uh, uh, take in more of those those unsaturated and, and the health quote unquote healthier oils? This can be challenging for folks, you know, because especially a lot of folks I talk to, either they just can't stand fish, they won't eat it, um, and maybe they they never eat any nuts or seeds. Um, you know, mm. so that can be very challenging, you know, but, you know, I, I, I try to help people open their mind up to the possibility of trying things, you know, slowly but surely. And also to the note, to the idea that our taste buds literally change and regenerate every year or so. So if you try to keep an open mind, try something again that maybe you didn't like five years ago, the last time you tried it, you might be pleasantly surprised. Mm. maybe try that that fish with a you know a different recipe or different spices and herbs with different flavors to bring it to life a little bit more you know try to keep an open mind 
and, and, and slowly but surely find, you know, one or two of those foods that you can work in more regularly. But I know that's not an easy answer because, frankly, that might not work for some folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, it's never going to be an easy answer. This is a complicated subject that uh, people are going to ultimately have to find their own uh, solution for. My goal here, and, and I think your goal, is, is just to provide as much information as, as possible so that people can sort of make a much more informed uh, decision when, when they get to that place. Uh, so let's, let's turn to the gut. Um, there, there's a few things I want to make sure we get clarity on here, uh, because I think a lot of people listening to this show have heard the idea of like the gut brain connection. That's something that became uh, pretty trendy uh, over the last few years. But at least speaking for myself, I don't know that I have a full understanding of what that even means. Um, so I'd love it if you could, when we say the gut, what exactly are we referring to and how, how is that connected to the brain? Why is it uh, in your book, you have it labeled as the quote unquote second brain, like break all of that down for us, please. Yeah. Thank you. And that was a good segue because, you know, the other significant piece of the anti-inflammatory diet, which segues into this is, uh, enough of those fibers, you know, so it's not all about the fats and that balance Mm. we just talked about. Another big piece of that anti-inflammatory diet or fighting inflammation is getting that diversity of fibers and antioxidants that we get generally writ or high good sources of in those whole grains, those fruits, those vegetables that are all good sources of fibers. And not just those, you know, but the the legumes, which is just our beans or lentils or soy tofu products, for example, um, and then nuts and seeds. All those food groups also give us fiber. Now, let me segue that into the gut-brain axis here. You, now, what is the gut? You know, because that, that term's used a little loosely and can be a little confusing here. Now, what we're talking about is is the, the gastrointestinal tract, specifically the small intestine and the large intestine. And that's going to be those main areas where we digest, we absorb those, those nutrients, um, but also where we have that community of bacteria all throughout our digestive tract are more concentrated in certain areas. Um, so... Now, that's a key piece of the anti-inflammation conversation and explains our gut-brain axis, a lot of that. So that's the biome? Right. So gut microbiome, you know, maybe folks have heard that term before. So let me unpack that. You know, basically the microbiome just refers to the, the total or the community of bacteria in a certain area. So we're talking here specifically about the gut microbiome. Okay. Uh, so those different species of bacteria that reside within our intestinal tract, they have different, well, first of all, there, some strains are beneficial. Other strains are more neutral where they don't have any concerning or beneficial effects, whereas other uh, strains might be harmful, you know, for they might be producing anti-inflammatory compounds. Um, so... Part of, of this conversation is just highlighting the importance of the diversity of the, that bacteria and that the, the various fibers in our diet is a key piece of that promoting the diversity of bacteria because we can't digest those fibers in our diet personally, but those gut bugs, those friendly gut bugs can. They need it to do their job and contribute to our health. So example here, 
Uh, some of those healthy strains of bacteria produce uh, dopamine. They produce serotonin, GABA. Those are three key neurotransmitters that regulate our mood and our well-being and our sleep and so forth. Um, so, and our ability to relax, you know, so this is again, that, that loose connection with anxiety, which I had a harder time diving into the science because I feel like the science is a little more vague and unclear there and the anxiety related disorders, nonetheless important. You know, we still have to acknowledge those links, but I just had to be cautious because it's a little less robust and established compared to the depression aspect. We do understand that a little bit more robustly. If you enjoyed this, I encourage you to check out the full interview as well as all of the other interviews that are available right now to TLBC Plus members. Just click the link in the description of this episode or head over to tlbc.co slash join to learn more and sign up today for just $4.99 a month. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thank you for being here. I hope that you found this interview, this conversation valuable. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day.